This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop shank. off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome four-time PGA Tour winner and uh, the man who played in over 600 PGA Tour events. That's actually crazy, like, to play that long out there for that period of time. BBC commentator of this great game of golf, Andrew McGee. Thanks so much for doing this. I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for, for having me and uh, just fresh off the airplane from Rome and Got plenty of opinions on what happened to the Americas. Not that I know any answers, but um, I've left disgusted there like four different times doing BBC radio. But uh, thank you for having me on a beautiful day here in Flagstaff. I'm walking my have my dogs in the dog park in Arizona and in a beautiful morning. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. When, when I say 600 PGA Tour events, is that like when you look at it from that level of how long you were out there to be that good for that period of time? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You, you have to be proud, like just to have that longevity to be that good for that period of time. Well, that, that's that's a great question because I I do this all the time, and people ask me, and I said I played you know twenty years on the PGA Tour, or um, I played six hundred and six official PGA Tour events. I won four and lost six hundred and two. Um, which way would you rather look at this? And when you say you played six oh six, that makes it sound like you were out there for forty years. Um, you know, I was I was I was a journeyman. I played thirty tournaments a year. You know, twenty straight years. I got my card when I was twenty-two, right out of college in Oklahoma, and and got on tour. And I never lost my card for twenty years, which I'm I'm really proud to say. I never went back to tour school once after doing it only one time in Palm Springs in nineteen eighty-four, in the summer of eighty-four. And um, so I'm I'm really proud of that, and I'm really I really thank you for bringing that up first. Yeah, I mean, I, and I. Think of, I mean, like, I'm so into golf and realize, like, how hard that truly is, right? And I think, too, like, sometimes, like, take our friend Tommy Armour III or Pat Perez or Charles Howell III. I wouldn't call you guys journeymen. I mean, you got four wins, man. That's a hell of a good career. But, like, just to be, you know, just to be able to do it for that long, I think it's overlooked of a level of greatness, right? That all of those kids coming out of college, all of, everyone coming from around the world could not take your card for 20 years, couldn't take Tommy's card for 28 years. That's insane, right. right? Like, I think there's really there's something to be said for that level of excellence for that period of time. I think it's overlooked. I don't know what your opinion is, but I think it is of truly how hard that is and how few guys play 600 tour events. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, I mean, you just mentioned, you said insane, and I'm thinking about Tommy, uh, Pat Perez, <laughs> Andrew, and Charles. Uh, we're all a little bit goofy. I mean, to, to, to maintain and live that kind of lifestyle – on the tour for that long, live in hotel rooms, have your kids come with you every once in a while and travel and, and compete and keep your card and try to win tournaments. Um, it's very difficult. People just see the headlines in the in the press and it's all glamorous. Guys are flying around privately and staying in Ritz Carlton's. That wasn't that wasn't the case for, for Tommy and I, you know, and probably Pat for a long time until he got to live, but or Charles. But um that's it's it's um you know, it's it's hard to put into words. I didn't start off at 22. It was a fresh face, kind of fun, new thing. I didn't grow up wanting to be like a Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson and thinking about being a tour star and winning the Masters. I was just trying to get a job. 
I was just trying to keep moving up the ladder rung, you know, high school, getting a scholarship to college, making the tour my first time, uh, winning a first tournament in 1988, Pensacola Open, you know, wanting to win another one. So my, my, my dream wasn't that dream that you read about in the press about, you know, Tiger and Phil wanting to be the greatest players of all time. I was just trying to make a living and pay my mortgage basically. And, and, and then have a, you know, have some extra for a good time and take my family on a trip or two. Looking back at going through Q school and getting through that first time, which is rare, right? That's not the normal path. Usually it's failure. Then you wind up playing the Asian tour from that your generation and overseas. Was it almost one of those things where it was like, what good you're that age with all that confidence and you're like, eh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to play as hard as I can. I'm 22 years old. I'm coming like, you know, coming like a bat out of hell out of Oklahoma. You know what? I'll figure it out. If this one doesn't work. Was there a freedom to it at that, at that age to get through something that hard? You no, know, I was, I was really lucky. Um, out of college, out of the NCAAs in Houston, I was signed by IMG in Cleveland. Everybody knows who IMG is. Mark McCormick, you know, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, uh, the first sports golf agent in the history of the world, Mark McCormick. I I went straight to Europe, and I got a sponsor exemption to the Scandinavian Open. Um, made some money, made about thirty grand in my first pro tournament. Wow! And I was off and running, and played eight tournaments straight over there in Europe. Um, made enough money in my first four or five tournaments to get my tour card, um, which gave me tremendous confidence. I played with Bernard Longer. I played with Colin Montgomery. I played with Savvy. You know, I played around with, with Norman at the Irish Open and finished fifth with, with Norman and Langer. I mean, in Seve, and, and that, that whole week was like, wow, what's going on? I'm staying at the American Ambassador's house in the middle of Dublin in a castle that Reagan was at the week before President Reagan, that is. And uh, so my my upbringing was a little bit – I was so fortunate to have that kind of – get that confidence in Europe and come back and go straight to tour school. Um, I had confidence. I'd already played in major tournaments and in British Opens um, when I'd went to tour school, and I was still 22 before my my 23rd birthday in May, which was when I was a rookie on tour. So I mean, I had a really fortunate upbringing. We're not losing my 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 first go at tour school and having to go to Asia and yeah. wonder ever going to happen like say a Tom Lehman who went through how many tour schools? I don't know how he kept his perseverance going. Um, so again, lucky. Lucky for me, or maybe, you know, maybe I was just good enough in college for IMG to see me and say we want him and let's get him going in Europe and we're going to make money off this guy. And um, every time I look back, I got to thank that that summer of being in Europe and traveling. I, was, I actually was born in Paris, um, lived in Tripoli, Libya, and spent time five years in London, England before I was 11. So I was familiar with traveling worldwide um, and not scared of it. And, and and coming back to this country, it was like, you know, I'm I'm ready to go anywhere and do anything to to play golf and and support my family and make some cash. So you were fully exempt after like five or six events. You played that well, so you had a European tour card as a backup plan. Oh, what a yep. what a sweet yep. position to be in for a young hungry pro, right? Yeah. I mean, to know you've got that on your as your backdrop if needed. You know, I had no plan. For all this stuff. I mean, I didn't sit down and write out my plan like you hear about guys talking about their their long term plan, their short term plan. I was just trying to step, make another step up the rung of the ladder, and keep going and keep my card. You know, it, it sounds kind of simple and cliche, but I mean that that's about as much as I knew about being. I didn't grow up 
in America reading about tour guys and how you're supposed to do all this. I kind of came at it my way and just tried to hit the fairways, hit the greens, make a bunch of birdies, make the cut, make money, and go home. I mean, I just kind of tried to keep it that simple. What was playing, like, what was Seve like to a young American pro back in his, you know, heyday of just the aura, everything Seve, right? Like, what was that like for a young guy to be paired with him? You know, you know. so here's a good story. But I'm playing in the Irish Open. Like I said, I'm staying in the Ambassador's Castle in, in Dublin. Somehow we knew his son from Northern California. And, the, of course, the house is like a junior White House, you know, and it's 300 yards from the front gate. And, and he, he cut a driving range out for us of – so Charlie Bowling and I, he's another tour player, we traveled together. We got to practice and hit balls in the morning on this front yard 300-yard driving range because at Royal Dublin, where the Irish Open was, there was no driving range, and guys just dropped balls out of the back of their trunk of their car and hit you know, hit 30 balls off into the bog and lost them, and that's how you started. Um, so I was ready to play that day, and I was paired on Saturday morning after making the cut, I was paired with Seve and Greg Norman. Like, can you imagine? Oh, in the same group. I'm 22. It's my, what, my sixth pro term of my life. And and I show up at Bull Island, and there are 10,000 fans following our group. And they're not rooting for me. It's like a Ryder <laughs> Cup thing. You know, it's like Seve and Norman. It is blowing like, like 30 miles an hour. And I'm from Oklahoma hitting low snap hooks. And I knew what to do. And the second hole... The crowd was so big, they chased these giant rabbits, these hares, out of their holes. And they wouldn't let them back in their holes. They're like, you know, three or four foot tall, giant hares. And we had to stop playing on the second green because the crowd was panting and running these hares. They ran the first one to death. And it died in the crowd. And Seth is yelling at the camera people and yelling at everybody taking pictures of them. This is ridiculous. I quit. This is this is terrible and all this stuff. So that was my first look at Sebi. I'm just like in, sitting on my bag watching his hair dye in the crowd, thinking <laughs> this is this is a wild scene, man. This is cool, you know. And they're going crazy. They're cussing at everybody, saying because they're no one and two in the world, and I'm nowhere in the world. And you know, I end up shooting four under the front nine. And I'm beating the crap out of these two guys. I'm going. They don't even know how to play in the wind. They're hitting these high things up in the air. I'm hitting these low hooks, you know, trying to keep it in play and making birdies. And, of course, they put the pedal down in the back nine and both shot about four or five under and passed me. But, you know, I was like, uh, what a memory. I got Seve, and Seve and I knew each other after that, and he's actually he actually gave me a chipping lesson, which I still do today. I touch my right finger to the shaft when I'm chipping with a sandwich around the green, and I still do the same thing that he showed me back in 1984. And I'm a really good chipper. One of the best. I mean, I, he has so many stories, which is strange. Where first off, I mean, his short game, seeing it up close, had, had to be insane. Of truly how great it was and creative. And then secondly, I've talked to so many touring pros who have the same story you did that he helped him. Right, like young touring pros that he didn't need to do that, and he would go and do it. He had to be a good soul, right? You might we might see over here the. The outside, yeah. rough and tough, you know, he's not giving an inch to anybody and arguing with Azinger, and he's a hard ass. But it seems like behind the scenes, he was a really, really good human being. That's a great point, because that's exactly the the persona he, you know, comes through in our press over here, that he hates Americans. He, I mean, obviously, he made the Ryder Cup as for, for today from, you know, 1987, or was that 85? He came over and 
won at Mirfield the first time the Europeans won on the U.S. soil. But yeah, he, he, he actually took some time and it's great to hear that. And I knew that, I knew that about Seve. He, he's, um, he was a great guy. And it's, I mean, who was our Seve on our team? You're right. Thinking of Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. They have a Seve who they're inspired by. Well, who do what, we, Ray, Ray Floyd was a hard ass, right? Azinger would not give an inch. I mean, I don't know if they had the aura of a Seve. We, we, who's our guy? Tiger. I mean, is our maybe greatest Jack Nicklaus? That they just never, they just didn't inspire the crowd like Seve did. I mean, no. I just, Dude, every time I go to a Ryder Cup, it's all Seve and Ferrari. They have a they have a locker for Seve. Yeah, they had a Seve in the crowd on the front first tee. Everything is Seve forever. Spanish flags. Who is our guy? Who do we get inspiration from? I don't think we have it. Well, let's get in. I mean, you were there for the Ryder Cup. It's a, this is a good transition to get to it because Jesus, there's there, there, there's a lot here. So just we'll break it down. Give me your thoughts from being over there, covering it, doing it, like from a thousand feet in the air, and then we'll kind of dive in. Well, I mean, I'm not going to veer much further than than the off than the the writers already are here have already done. But we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared. We we had taken. You know, four or five weeks off, a couple, except for a couple of guys that played the Fortinet in, in the Napa, Max Homa, um, JT, somebody else. Um, I forgot. But, um, I mean, you you got to – I think you got to play your way into that. You can't take four or five weeks off and expect to have your your game. Um, we lack – I'm going to use two Ps. We, we weren't prepared. We lack passion. I mean, when, when they make a pug and stuff, they go down on their haunches and they scream and yell. I don't. I don't see us showing that kind of joy. I mean, you've got to have as much joy as you have disappointment from hitting a bad shot. I don't see a lot of joy and happiness about. You know, it's an American way. We expect it to just happen because we're Americans. You know, I think th- th- those those Europeans get it from from soccer. You know, from their friend Rory McIlroy is a hero in Europe. Um, is Scotty Scheffler a hero in the United States? No. He doesn't want to be. He shies away. Um, Tiger probably is. Tiger probably needs to be involved. I don't know where Freddie Couples is. He seems to be the spokesperson now for the Ryder Cup team, and, and, and because maybe Zach didn't say the right things. I don't know what happened there. So I'm giving you the thousand mile view on my view. Yeah. Um, they set the course up to win. We don't. We set the course up. You know, kind of as is at Whistling Straits, maybe get the greens a little faster than they used to. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of factors, but I, I think it comes down to bigger things that um, the, the clutch putts, the chipping in, that, that comes from passion and joy and, and understanding the situation and the team format, which we, yeah, we all go to different motels and hotels on the PGA Tour in the United States. And we don't all have dinner together like they do. We don't all drink beer together like they do because we have too many. We have 20 hotels to choose from. When we all separate, they all stay at three places because that's the only options they have on the European tour, DP World Tour, excuse me. Um, that's an old story. Um, but I think it works a little bit. They like each other. I don't think our guys even know each other very well. Um, so I think there's quite a few factors. Let me th- let me Let me – counter your argument a little bit. I actually agree with you, but just to make this conversation kind of interesting, like my question would be, you're a professional golfer, right? Like, do I really need to motivate you or shouldn't you be motivated? Like, I always think like I could captain this team with a, with a 
you know, an, a, a, a geek from MIT who could give me the data. I would have made some different picks based on I know how the golf course is going to be set up. But couldn't – I mean, like Hogan used to do it when he was a captain. I mean, can't you just say, you two are playing together. Go play golf. You're a professional. There's The world's watching. Do they, does the captain need to motivate them? Or, you know, I'm assuming when you were a player and you went and teed it up anywhere, you were ready to go. You were ready to give it everything you had. I'm just wondering, like, the dynamic. Like, how important is that captain? Or shouldn't a professional athlete be ready to go and play? Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's a great point. The captain doesn't do, can't do much. The captain's a manager making sure their clothes all fit them and they look pretty and they, he says the right things in the press. You're exactly right. These guys shouldn't need motivation. I don't like, you know, friends playing with friends because they're friends. You know, oh, no, Scotty Shuffle's got to play with, with Burns, you know, because they're buddies and they go to church together. Is that a good reason to play? A, I don't think so. No, 100%. No, it's no. not. It's not. Oh, Spieth and Thomas, they grew up together. They competed against each other in college. You know, and Ricky Fowler was there. They're all buddies. Um, that's another terrible reason to have guys in your team. I I mean, I kind of like patriots like Keegan Bradley, who really cares and is really passionate. You know, I think they made a bad choice um, with Ricky Fowler. He was, he was playing poorly, but he got thrown in there, and everybody's reading right now, kept us saying it, that, yeah, at least I'm not a little country club boy. As coming in is these things, and I mean, Ricky Fowler's got to be pretty embarrassed for having the worst record. Yeah, the captain's picks were not good. I mean, just if I was going at this, knowing that it worked in Paris, like you know what the golf course was going to be, right? Like I didn't have to see it, but <laughs> nothing like rough smoke, right? So don't you then take like Glover, who's just a ball striking Jesse, and the greens aren't going to be fast enough to really you know make him go sideways. Keegan, same thing. Better ball striker than Sam Burns. I mean, you could have thrown DJ in there. I mean, to me, the picks just didn't add up. A, I don't like the buddy system. I, I you know, I don't know if they need a captain that's just not in that fraternity. You know, you know, an outside guy. I don't know a Theo Epstein from baseball with a math guy. And they're like, <laughs> look, I don't give a shit. But you two are playing together because the math tells me so. Yeah. Go do it right. And so these picks just didn't make sense, knowing what was coming. You know, you, right. you know. well, Glover's not a great putter. Well, he's a pretty good putter when the greens are rolling at 10, not 14. Sure. Right? Like, like, so I'm just sure. baffled of, like, how how this keeps happening when, if you know golf, you could see this potential problem coming a mile away. And, like, how do I see it and they don't see it? That's the part I'm confused on. Yeah, that's, that's some pretty good perspective right there. I mean, Zach Johnson's not part of the club, so... So there's that. I mean, it's not part of the – there's always a club. There's always a little club with the PGA Tour guys. And right now it's, you know, it's Spieth and Thomas and Fowler and, and that group that they get every sponsorship deal the PGA Tour brings down the the corridor. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's Davis Love and Jay Hoff and Brad Faxon and all those guys back in my time that were part of the PGA Tour, kind of they always got the deals. So Zach Johnson is not really part of that crowd. So, I mean, I totally agree with you. I, I think I would have had Patrick Reed, and I, I would I would have thrown the live thing and say, let's play the winning at the best American players. Let's don't keep holding this animosity back. And the Europeans are more anim, animus towards live than we are on this side. Um, but you're right. Dustin Johnson went 5-0 and with, with Colin Marikawa at Whistling Straits. Let's play to win. Let's don't just play to appease 
you know, the, the groups and the friends. So, I mean, that's a great point. Um, the captain, obviously, who the ne- whoever the next captain is, hopefully it's it's probably going to be Tiger, you know, because we need our heavyweight here to win. But we're going to win at that page because the crowd's yeah. going to help. We're yeah, and they'll set the course up, and odds are, right? It's getting harder for each team yeah. to come overseas and get this thing done, right? The, 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 the outcome's proving that. It's exactly right. So it's going to keep happening like this. Can we can – we, I think the, the, the question is, can we break this 32-year streak now in Europe and, and go over there with the right attitude and say, fuck this and let's win this thing? Quit being – Put all the galas and putting on our bow ties and looking pretty. Let's go to play and win and get dirty and get in their face like they do. We don't get. I mean, finally Joe Lacava, caddy, got in Rory's face on eighteen. We all saw that. We need more of that. I mean, that's the serious stuff that we need to fight to. Win. We just can't just show up and expect it to happen. I agree. Like, like, uh, like, think what you will about Patrick Reed. I mean, he can play the 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 heel role or the heel role very well. Right, he don't give a shit if people are mad at him. Like he would be pretty badass to stick out there. It'd actually be a good golf course for him. You know, he's not a bomber, but he didn't need to be a pure bomber over there. Hits his irons well, putts it good. He'd have been. I mean, I know it was never going to happen because it's Patrick Reed and the live thing, but he would have been like a perfect guy to send out there overseas, in my opinion. Right? Like it, <laughs> it, it could have worked. I mean, well, he could have been the badass. Have, you got to have some black hat wearing villains. Yes. He won't take any crap and will just get it in your face. I covered that match at Hazeltine years ago with Rory and Patrick, and that front nine was easily the best golf I've ever seen. They were both were back and forth burning every hole, and they're pointing at each other. I mean, it was really Ryder Cup drama, and by the eighth hole, they both had made a, you know, Rory made about an 80-footer, and then Patrick followed up with like a 40-footer, and they, they, they shook hands and almost appreciated each other, which was kind of the coolest moment I've seen. But, but again, you got to have some villains. You can't all be nice guys and showing up and expect to win because they've got villains. You know, right. they're kind of dark. You know, they they don't care. They gonna want. They just want to win. I think a point you made that's really important is that layoff on the American side. And I don't know how this okay. changes because, right, like basically take March, April, May, June, July into August for the playoffs. It, you would know this better than anybody. At the end of the season, I mean, these guys are beat. Right. First off, everyone's injured at some level, right? There's nagging stuff, even guys in their 30s. Mentally, you're exhausted. I mean, that that's a tough, long stretch. And then, you know, well, do you keep playing because you're exhausted or do you just shut it down? But then if you shut it down, this is what happens because I always argue, well, you wouldn't take four weeks off and go play the Masters, right? You have to play your way into that sort of shape. But is, do you think there's just like, is my analysis right? There's not much left in the tank at that point. I mean, I look forward to November, you know, back when the tour was when Tommy and I and I played and, and we had November and December off. I love that two, two month off to heal. You're right. To, to get strength for the next year and to get my, get my swing going again. Um, listening to Brian Harmon's press conference. I like Brian Harmon a lot, but I mean, all he really could talk about was getting his fields ready for deer hunting, you know, and, and he was really had a good time taking that five months off, five weeks off, excuse me. Um, you know, and plowing his fields and feeding them and getting ready for deer season. And you could see the British press. I'm sitting next to it going like, huh? What's he talking about? <laughs> He's got yeah. a gun? What? <laughs> like, yeah, we're Americans in the South. That's what happens. And, uh, 
And yeah, but he hadn't played for, you know, then he said about the third week, he kind of said, I've started hitting some balls and getting my feel back and working on some things. And I'm going, it's not time to work on things. This is time to be a killer. Right. Um, he was easily the shortest hitter in the whole field. Um, I covered a couple of his matches. He was 60 yards behind, you know, his competitors. Um, he did show up towards the end and, and play better. I'm not picking on Brian Harmon. I kind of like him because of his story. But I, I, again, I mean, you're 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 right, and I'm right. We need more killers. We got I think we should pick all twelve. I, I mean, the, the automatically having Shepard number one in there and, and watching him lose nine to seven, he should get punished next time around and say you're not playing. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot going. To, you know, like I said, you can you can just look at it from a thousand feet in the air and you can go, well, this is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem. You know, like it's going to be interesting to see what do we, you know, what's the team do going forward? Like who, who would be your next captain? Like if you're grand poo bar and you can pick it, like I, is it an outside guy? Is it not the next, you know, is it somebody who, you know, they always, you know, thing is, you know, you have to have a major championship and do this. And in Europe, sometimes like look at Paul McGinley, right? He's five wins on a European tour, no majors, but great captain. Right, like so. Do you, do we need to go outside the box here a little bit? Yeah, I think we need to change our formula because it's not working in Europe. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, that whole co-captain thing. That whole group's been doing this for a long time. Steve Stricker, Furyk, because they all want a major. Freddie, you know, I just, I think it's time for a major change. And I, I don't know who that guy is. I have to see a list of who's close, but. I would go, you know, with, with guys that are outside the box and you can shake up the media a little bit. Zach Johnson didn't scare anybody, you know, and he didn't speak very clearly when he was up with Luke Donald, the European um, captain, who was really eloquent. He could, he spoke that, if, did you see the opening ceremonies when he spoke that whole paragraph in Italian? Yeah. That was like, uh-oh, they're one up. All my British guys I'm with going, uh, Europe's one up already. Yeah, and, he Really look good. <laughs> he just did. Right? Well, he comes he across as in Chicago, and he's a he's an artist, and he's a smart guy. I would say Zach Johnson doesn't do any of that. Um, <laughs> Zach Johnson did win a couple of majors and, and hit the ball in the fairway, and but as a captain of the Ryder Cup, please. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a gravitas <laughs> difference of Luke Zach? Donald, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, they, they weren't supposed to be. Luke was lucky because uh, Hendrick Stenson was a live guy, and they they nixed them i guess that worked out fine for them on that side of the world yeah she's but he almost looks like a captain he just you know he just he 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 looks like a guy who was born for that role donald that is just i don't know he he uh he played the part well and players still have to play but he he did his part very well of it yeah um other you know the other tournament uh, that you covered a lot the masters right you played in it you've covered it What's your thoughts on the golf course? You know, it's the next major coming up for us, but the golf course changes, what they're doing, it making it longer. Do, do you like what they're doing? Do you like the old school way where there was a little bit more potential fire on the back nine of somebody shooting a 30? And, uh, you know, what's your thoughts from covering that event for so long? Um, you know, all you just what you just said is, is really important. I mean, the making the course longer and longer, taking number 15, the par five, um, out of going for two is is not what I think is a good idea. I mean, that's probably the coolest, loudest roar hole in the weekend is 15 guys landing on the green, having an eagle putt there. If you keep going back there, guys are going to lay up 
if it rains, if the wind's coming from the, the west that day, they're going to probably lay up. And no one in the stands wants to see that. TV People want to see us going for that shot on 15 in the par fives. Um, the Masters is the greatest major tournament there is. The Ryder Cup is probably the best tournament there is for watching and, and for pure drama. With the Masters, you know, I love going because every time I leave, I've been to the last 18 Masters for BBC, and I played in seven. So I've left there a lot, Augusta, uh, with different thoughts in my head, and not just how shitty I finished some of those last holes up and lost a bunch of money myself, but 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 how that Sunday back nine comes true every year. The tournament never it always starts on Sunday at the back nine. Someone completely falls apart. Someone comes up out of the abyss, you know, and wins the thing, or someone hangs on. Very very unlikely unless it's Tiger. Um, but it's, it's, it's the best drama. It's the coolest. I think if you ask tour players around the world, of course, European guys would say the open, the British open and American guys would probably say the masters, maybe us open second, uh, PGA is always, always last, but, where, um, where would you rate it, them? If you, if you had all four, so you had all four majors, is it masters? And then is it for you, would it be us open or open championship for your number two? I'm I'm British Open. I'm I'm English. I lived over there, and you know I'm Masters. I'm the Open. Um, I I couldn't stand going to the U.S. Open. I think the only reason why I played and tried to qualify is my sponsors expected me to. I would have skipped it as a regular tour player um, that plays 30 tournaments a year. I, I knew I wasn't going to go there and make a lot of money. I couldn't. I wasn't a straight enough hitter. And when I got, I always was in a fight with the USGA guy, no matter what, just because it's different from the PGA Tour. I knew how to work the PGA Tour people. When I got to the the Master, the US Open, I the USGA guys, I just didn't get it. They were so strict. They were so weird, New Jersey Northeastern assholes that they don't really understand golf anyway. They just understand Northeastern golf on how tradition is supposed to be. Well, guess what, guys up there in the Northeast, tradition's going by the wayside. Because yeah. people want to play golf with their hats on backwards, drink beer, and hang out with their buddies. So this whole Northeastern thing that, that they've created is going to go bye-bye when all those old guys finally die off. So the, the U.S. Open, I never had fond memories, if you can hear me. And the PGA was just another golf tournament for the PGA Tour guys. So easily, easily masters the Open. Um, which you can look at my record and obviously see that I finished seventh in the Masters and fifth in the the Open. The the other two I don't really even look at. You know the PGA has gotten better at least from excitement on Sunday, right? Like it's that that tournament seems like I enjoy watching the PGA more than the U.S. Open anymore. Uh, to be honest, of just some excitement going on. Um, I'm with you on the Open Championship. I was fortunate enough to get to go over and see it for the first time this year because one of our sub seventy. Uh, tour players off the Corn Ferry Tour got in and got to walk inside the ropes and see it and feel it. It's like, oh, what a tournament. The fans just, you know, they'll applaud a shot to 32 feet because they know it was the proper golf shot. And just being inside the ropes on a practice round is just, you can just feel it. That tournament just feels different. It was incredible. It really was. Well, I mean, the venue. Um, you, you go into Royal Burkdale, you go into places that are, a hundred years old and there's history and St. Andrews and Lytham and St. George's and Royal Liverpool and yeah. all these places that, you know, you know, Tommy and I have played them all, all the time. And, um, you know, there's just, just a sense of history, I think there. And, you know, with Tommy's last name and his, his great grandfather and, 
excuse me, his grandfather and, and me living over there being a McGee, they thought I was Irish and I lived there too. And the fans know you, you know, they don't take the time in this country to kind of see who's who over there. They, they know you. And I remember my playing a practice round at Troon one year coming off the green on Tuesday, um, like four little 12 year old kids are standing there, you know, wearing their sweaters and it was cold, windy day. And I come off the green and I could hear one little boy say, go ahead, go ahead, tell him, tell him, tell him. He was really shy, this little boy. And the other little boy said, my name is, is, is Andrew McGee, spelled just like yours. You know, he's a little Irish kid. Yeah. And uh, I gave him my driver, my shoes, my gloves, all my golf balls. <laughs> so, yeah, like how cool is that, right? You know, that's that stuff I remember. And that, that kid followed me for four straight rounds that week. He brought his parents out. You know, and, and they thought we were, we were all related because we might be. And uh, that's, those are the kind of things. I remember playing in Doral one time in Miami on the tour. And to speak about me for a little bit because it is my podcast today. Um, <laughs> uh, I teed off and I made the turn early on like a Saturday, missed the cut. And there was this, this group of five guys there. They were the only guys watching me. And I said, who are you guys? What's going on? Why are you following this group? Because we don't know. We just came in the gate over there. That's where our parking lot was. And. And we saw you, and you had nice pants on, and we decided to follow you. And I said, here's 50 bucks. Go over there and buy you guys some beer, and uh, I'll see you later. They followed me for, like, the next 10 years straight. Yeah, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that hard sometimes. For the, yeah, well, but, like, you, you, you know, you're still inside the ropes. They're looking up to you. Then when the touring pro is actually cool to you, I remember being a kid like that, right? Like, it's uh, it's it's a great feeling, right? And it has to be fun for the pro too. Just to do a little something like that, you're gonna have fans for life. You do that, a smile and something like that. Those guys got that story forever, right? They fo- they're gonna follow you forever on that one. Buy some beers on me. Thanks for coming out. It's awesome. Yeah, my my goal was, you know, to, I I like pro ams. I like meeting people. I was far from home. My family didn't travel. I was by myself most of the time. So I'm always looking for friendships and a, a lot of those. Little interventions I had with people ended up being we go to dinner, I meet their family, and maybe the next year or something I might stay at their place. So I mean I'm I'm that kind of affable guy where I like people, I like meeting new people and learning new things, and asking my pro am partner like, what did you do for your job? That's all you have to say, guys out there who are pros listening. Don't talk about yourself because it's obviously it's already in internet if you want to find you. Ask them about them. That's all they want to know. That's all they want to hear. Well, yeah, and sometimes I'm sure you had business relationships that came out of those programs, right? Still Maybe do. some sponsorships, yeah. some corporate stuff, right? That's a great connect. I mean, you know, if those guys are out there, you know, they're, they're paying good money. I always thought, too, it's like you hear the stories, and it probably is a little different now, you know, of the – you know, you hear the story of the pro is just uh, talking to his swing coach and on his phone, and for that nine – because there's only nine holes anymore – doesn't you know make it or give the 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 people in the group everything they kind of want to see it's a little bit of help and maybe a tip and a funny story like to me it's um that happens it's like the the pro sort of is you know how do you you know all you guys your generation the guys before you they built what that is and a part of that is just the relationships with the fans and the guys who come out and the corporations that sponsor stuff Man, I think you owe it to those fans to show them a really great nine holes of fun. I agree. I totally agree. Um, I would say that's not the 
PGA Tour, the golf pro mentality, once they make the tour, it's really about them and you, by themselves, you, you know, and, and it's kind of a jealous, you have to be kind of jealous. I think I fought with that. I wasn't jealous of myself and enough to just want to be maybe jealous, the wrong word. And that's the right word. Um, to, to give, most guys won't give, you know, they won't give that little bit of time in the pro-ams and those guys are paying the, the, the purse that week. And I don't think most of the tour players even care. I know that I would say, you know, in mid tournament, they should dry up the purse and see what happens with the guys. No, you're only getting paid half this time. You're going to still be here. Or are you going to leave? How are you going to feel about this? What's going to happen? You know, the whole now, now that we're seeing this Ryder Cup thing of, of with uh, Shoffley's father, Stefan, talking about getting paid, I'm like, oh no, this is going to get worse. Yeah, well, you know, that's been in the 20 years and going, right? Does eventually that come to a, that's a whole other discussion of, yeah, you know, where, you know, where does this one go? Then eventually you have four guys who should be on the team go on strike, and then it, you know, does it fuck the whole thing up? And, <laughs> I don't know, right? I could see this coming, though. You know, yeah, it's getting it's more and more mainstream of talking about, you know, you know, the process. When the PJ Tour still makes good money off it for the retirement account, so they're, I don't know. I think they do well enough where you can give one week back to the PJ of America, the European Tour, right? It's, it, you can do it for a week. You can do it for a week. You and I agree. Um, if you do it every year, you play the President's Cup. Um, I get it. I think you, I mean, the pressure those guys are under in the Ryder Cup, I just walk that thing every day. Um, taking the abuse from the fans, I don't know, man. I think I'd want a little cash in my pocket for all that effort, but um, I don't, I, you know, that's just me right now after after that last weekend. And wearing the American flag, this isn't enough for for Americans anymore, I guess. We just don't have enough patriotism on our side, and I just think something we're in a weird place. Yeah, it'll be interesting how it plays out. Uh, I mean, the other thing that's going to be interesting how it plays out, and I just had Brendan DeYoung on the podcast last week, and he didn't have a great answer. He doesn't generally know, even though he does media work and stuff too, is how, how does this live thing eventually play out with the PGA Tour? Like, how do you, do you have any concept of how this comes together? Because I think it's got to come together. I mean, I think, you know, I was out at the live event in Chicago. I had a great time. Like, it was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. It was like a party and golf went out. So it's like, and I'm kind of like you on the non-traditionalist side, like brought my wife out on Saturday. We had a blast. I took some shit on social media, which surprised me because I thought this was, you know, over now that they both basically said we're working on coming together. Which was still kind of, like I said, I, I was surprised at that, but it is what it is. Um but how do you think this plays out? If you had just if you could forecast as best you could. Well, it comes down to one thing, Jason. It starts with an M, money. And uh, you, you know, you know why this? In my mind, I think the whole why this whole thing acquiesced at the last minute with Jay Monahan um, saying we're going to do the lifting. They disappeared for two weeks and went to the hospital. That was all so fishy for me. What 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 I think has happened um is is the pga tour retirement plan and the pga tour was a i'm guessing getting this wrong a 5013c they're a non-profit organization and there's evidence you know of profit and yes. senator Lenthal in connecticut and another senator got a hold of this 
and they wanted to look into the books more. Um, the PGA Tour has been acting like an anti—it's an antitrust case now. They've had a monopoly on this, which is not cool. With your 5013C, uh, 5013E, or whatever the number is. So, the tour all of a sudden they the, they wanted to go to Discovery and look into this a little more in depth. The Congress uh, Blumenthal did, and the tourists said, "Uh oh." And the Saudis don't want Discovery either. No. They decided, no. they decided to go over the deal. I'm like, oh, that was fast. That was, they just all got caught. They all yeah. got caught in the cookie jar. And they had to come up with a little plan here. And who's going to turn down billions of dollars? If you're a business guy, and now that now that you're a nonprofit, um, you can't. And so now here we go. And I think it's, um, I kind of got a kick out of MBS's uh, Saudi leader guy's comments a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we sports wash. What do you want to do about it? Come at me. What do you want to do? You want my money? I was like, holy crap, that was aggressive. Let's see what happens. People are all going to go and get their money. I don't care what sport there is. They're going to go to Saudis. They're going to say, sure, we'll sponsor that league. Yeah, I, there's just too much money to be made. I don't see how it gets. It doesn't get done. I don't know if Lib continues. You know, does that become? I don't even call it a different name, but is there then a world tour, for lack of a better word, yeah. that has yeah. that goes all over the world? Like the Sydney, yeah. that event was huge, and then the PJ Tour and DP World Tour are some sort of a like a relegation thing for like you know, you know, European football where you have to somehow qualify to get on that team, and then that's even elevated above the PGA Tour now, and there's relegation back down. It, you know, I, I, I can't picture the live thing going completely away. Um, it's not going to be called live. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen either, but it's not going to be called live. It's just going to be sponsored by the, the PIS, the Saudi fund. And yeah, they're in negotiations, whatever that means. I don't trust any of them. <laughs> as a tour player for my best interest. I mean, the purses are going to be giant. Yeah. If, if, if you get, if you get in those elevated events, I mean, a lot of those guys who play professional golf are not in that little group of elevated guys, but, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm for big purses and making a bunch of money as a tour player. The few weeks I'm out on the road and go home. What do you think of the team concept? That live I don't nice? even know I mean, I don't. Even, I, I kind of have a clue, but I don't think anybody cares about the team concept. That's just going to go away, and it's an individual sport. I mean, like the Ryder Cup. It's oh my God, bad captain. My partner was no good, and blah 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 blah. It's up to you to hit a shot, man. It's up to you to hit fairways. It's up to you to hit the greens. It's up to you to make the putt. Nobody else. That's golf. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some elements from the event. Like I said, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the atmosphere of how much fun it was. Like my wife and I went to the concert afterwards. It was great. Like that part, the PGA Tour. You know, it's it's a bit like a, you know the Chicago was like a miniature version of the waste management idea, right? And doesn't come close to the magnitude of that. But you could see like that's what they're trying to do. It's fun. You know, it was fun. We had a really the good only, time. I, I know I live in Phoenix, but the only tournament I kind of go to and hang on from Dallas, I used to hang out at the Byron Nelson and go to the nighttime parties and stuff. But I love Phoenix. And I tell the Phoenix Thunderbirds, don't listen to the PGA Tour. Tell you what to do. You give more money to charity than anybody else by double. Do what you want. Have your nighttime parties and have a blast. I go straight to 16. I throw beer cans at the golf pros. I do everything everybody else does in the stands because it, 
that's what it is. And if, if they know that coming in, if they don't want that, don't show up. Yeah, Liv had a party hole on the, it was the 17th hole, that was a par three, and it was completely, you know, corporate stuff all over. Not as big, but the same idea with music. It was fun. Like, I'm telling you, we, you know, my wife's not a huge golf fan, and she had a blast that day. It's fun, man. It's an event. I love this it from changing, that standpoint. It's changing. Traditional golf is going by the wayside. Kid, people want to drink beer, but their hats on backwards wear T-shirts, you know, and not tucked in, and all those old traditional rules are going to be over here soon. I don't know when, but I think it's just the way it's going to be. I agree. Uh, well, speaking of the Phoenix Open, we, we, I mean, you are famous for a pretty incredible hole-in-one. Like, you got to take me back. I have to. I have to do the one you probably have answered ten million times, but that was off off the putter. I mean, you're famous for that one now, like the hole in one on the par four at Phoenix. Walk me through <laughs> this one. Anytime there's a hole in one in a par four in the world of golf, my phone blows up. Golf Channel calls. I mean, every single time. But um, for folks out there that don't know, I'm I'm still the only one in PGA Tour history. A lot of people make hole-in-ones and par-fours, but not in an actual PGA Tour event. Um, the Friday of the Phoenix Open, I made a hole-in-one on 17. So so what happened is, is the stars and the sun and the moon had to all be lined up correctly that Friday afternoon. It was, you know, it was trying to make the cut. I teed off in the 10th hole. The Phoenix, I, I know TPC Scottsdale well. I live in Phoenix. I played there a lot. Um, I started off hot. I was three under after 14 holes. The part five coming up, I get home in two with a forehand into the green. I hit a big drive, had a forehand into the green. I hit it into the water on that part five, and, and I made a double bogey. Just kind of erased my complete hot start, and now I'm back to one under, and, and I've got to get revved up again because I'm playing good. I'm not let this bother me, and I hit it about 40 feet on 16, the easy short part three. There wasn't the huge, crazy crowd at that time, but there were the stands up and all that stuff, and and I made a 40-footer. So if you're paying attention to all these little things that happened leading up to when exactly I hit the shot on 17, which was critical, the timing, the double bogey, the getting the, the last shot at 16, hit the green, make the 40-footer, getting the tee on 17 first. So we got to the tee, and I'm playing with Jerry Smith and Jonathan Kay, friends of mine from Phoenix, and and we've all played there a lot. 332 yards was the, was the number that day to get to the – to get to the green and and i'm still hot from 15 you know i buried i made a 40 footer i'm i'm not showing much joy i talked about earlier what you should when you make a birdie um i'm still hot about the double and and i said to jonathan k i'm just gonna hit i can't really get there he goes no you probably should wait it's a little downwind and all that and i said fuck it i'm just gonna hit so i'm still hot about the double and and of course I get up there and I smash it right over the bunker in the middle of the fairway. And it takes a huge bounce. And unfortunately this is not all on TV because the, 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 the camera guy was still fil- filming the guys putting out on the green and missed me on the tee, um, which is another story, but, but my ball carries up and it rolls up and Steve Pate's in the group ahead and, and Gary Nicholas, Jack's son is up in the group and they hear the ball land and kind of jump out of the way and, and and Tom Byram is is putting with his back to the fairway and doesn't see or hear the ball coming up. He's putting for a par. He was playing terrible, and um, the ball went around his left foot apparently because it's not real clear evidence of what happened, and he doesn't really recall either. Um, and as he was taking a practice stroke from about eight feet, 
Um, his putter hit my ball coming around his left foot squarely and rolled right in the hole. Lo and behold, I didn't have a clue what happened. I, I, people, some people cheered up on the green. My dad was up kind of on the green waving his arms and some of my buddies were waving. And I'm thinking, what did I just hit some guy and get that penalty or what happened? I have no idea. And a tour official came straight down the fairway in his golf cart up in front of 17 T and he gave me the touchdown sign, two arms up in the air. I'm going like six. That's great. I made a six. I just had to make a six. You can't, you got to let me drop first. And then I get to hit my third from somewhere. What, what happened? Then I mean, he can see me kind of shaking my head like what? And then he raised one hand up in the air with a finger in the air. One. I said, it's, does it count? Who's, whose ball went in the hole? He goes, yours. It counts for a hole in one. And I'm going like, what? <laughs> it was all pretty shocking. And, and the funniest part of the story, I mean, the whole thing's kind of funny if you ask me, but uh, Tom Byron missed the cut that day on Friday afternoon. And they couldn't, the press couldn't find him for his comments on the only hole in one in PGA Tour history at that time in 2001, which is still going strong 22 years later. Is they found his caddy wandering through the parking lot trying to find a car to leave. Um, his name was Rusty Uresty. I just like to say that out loud. Um, and they asked him about the, the the putt that Tom Byron made. He goes, yeah, it's the only putt he made all day. He missed the cut. <laughs> <laughs> did so did, did they have to get a ruling on that? Like, cause I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know yeah. if it goes off a player's putter. Who's I, I, Fuck, I would have no clue of, you know, is that good, not good? I mean, who who knows that rule, right? So, so the moral of the story is it's, it's okay to hit another competitor. You, you can't hit your own stuff. Is my golf bag up there and it ricocheted off my golf bag or my caddy or something that wouldn't have been allowed, but you're, so all the people out there have got an opportunity on a par three and if somebody always, the group ahead of you is near the hole, realize that. So if you throw a ball in there near the hole somewhere, something good might happen. That is crazy. Just, I would have, yeah. Like I would have known. It's not illegal. It's just bad etiquette, and I can live with that. Well, thank God you didn't hit Steve Pate. The volcano could have <laughs> came out on that one, right? That <laughs> might have been bad. You wouldn't have cared. Yeah, we're all friends. Um, no, it's a great story, right? And it's still like, and by the way, that's 2001 to hit one that fucking far. That's beat back in that generation of golf ball and technology yeah. and clubs. You must have knocked the shit out of that thing to get that's to go 332. Funny. It's pretty funny because you're a golf club guy and you know these things. But I'm sponsored by Cleveland Golf, right? And I got a big Cleveland bag and Cleveland head covers and all that stuff. And <clears throat> I'm using a TaylorMade driver. <laughs> they, that was Friday. Ap- that was Friday after the Thursday count. Okay. So I switched clubs that day because I wasn't driving in good with my with my Cleveland driver. <laughs> and so I make this thing with a TaylorMade driver, which I have in my house, and it's written on the bottom. This glove's the one that made the hole-in-one. Yeah. And, of course, I got a big full-page uh, Cleveland Golf, Golf World page. Congratulations to Andrew McGee for making the only hole-in-one with a Cleveland driver. And I'm going like, mm, see how mm. we all do this shit? We all lie. We're all lying. <laughs> Well, no social media back then, right? Like, it, I mean, you're just going to oh, read what you see in Golf Digest. No harm, yep, no foul, right. right? Cleveland driver right in the middle of the hole. That's right. Oh, that's a great story, man. That really is. Um, <laughs> i got to ask you, too, like, you know, a lot of players have done this, but how did that transition go from you to a successful tour player to saying, you know, I, I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. I, I like my family. I want to be home more. But this media thing it's an avenue I could kind of go down, especially it's interesting that you're on the other side of the ocean for that. Like 
as an American doing BBC, like how did, you know, I know you did some work for the golf channel and all that stuff as well, but how did this all kind of come together where this is sort of your second career? Yeah. I mean, um, that and you know, um, selling real estate for discovery land company is kind of, that, that kind of helped me get off there. Actually, but kind of helped me get off the tour I had an injury. I had a surgery and I was off. I was off that whole year and I liked it. My first time in my life since I was 14, I wasn't traveling, playing in competitive events. And, 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 you know, after 20 years and I had a surgery to my right foot and I couldn't walk or play and I, and I, I liked being off the tour kind of ruined me for getting back in there. I, I use the analysis of like, if you're a NASCAR driver, you know, and you're off a year and all of a sudden the guy's got a new engine and they're going like seven miles faster that next year. And you can't, you can't really catch up again to, to keep up with that circle of drivers. Um, I got back out there and I was like, uh Oh, what did I lose? I lost distance. I lost the you know new equipment, new pin placements, keys are back further, and all of a sudden things change. And I said, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble. I need to figure this out." And I knew I had an opportunity um, with Discovery Land Company, but I also knew um, Brandel Chambly, my good friend, who everybody knows out there um, from Dallas. We grew up together, different high schools competing against each other. Um, did a pilot for a show called The Approach with Callaway Golf. It's um you know it's a head-to-head show like Stephen A. Smith going against some basketball ex-basketball player and arguing about what happened last week's game. The same thing. I'm I'm arguing with Alex Masella, a golf writer who I know well today, still um, against the tour player me, and discussing what happened last week and what's going to happen next week in a point counterpoint situation. Um, so I did a pilot. And I, and I got the part. And if I can just jump into how I got the part, it's the funny story. Um, this all this all helped me get off the tour. I mean, I'm looking to get off the tour, folks out there, believe it or not. Um, as long as I'd play professional golf and, and competition golf, I was looking for something else to do. I, I felt like I needed to be more rounded in the world. And all I'm known as is a golf pro, and it just wasn't enough for me going forward. But I did this pilot. Brandel sent me up, and, and Brandel said, I'm not the guy for this job. You need you want to interview Andrew McGee and see and see how he does. So I knew I was going to do a pilot um, against five other tour players, and we're all vying for this one spot against the golf writer in this approach with Callaway Golf Show. And I knew we were supposed to break down what how Adam Scott won the tour championship from last fall. This is like in the spring. I have no clue. I didn't see a single shot. I have no fucking clue how he won the tour championship, but I, but I know all the other guys, the other tour players I'm going up against are going to go back and they're going to read the transcripts and they're going to look at anything on YouTube and see that Adam Scott hit a beautiful seven iron on 16 to 20 feet and made this right to left curling putt to take a one up lead going into 17 and hit the ball on the green and two putted to maintain the one up lead. Then he ends up on 18 and he hit a three feet to, to capture the tour championship. I'm thinking, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say something that happens to tour players that people don't really know what happens to a guy when he's on the road for a month. You know, maybe little Jimmy, their son, wakes up with a sore throat, and mom can't take him to school, and mom calls the husband. He's about to tee off and says, little Jimmy's not feeling great. And you go to the first tee thinking, God, my son's sick. I hope it's not serious. And can I hit the first fairway? Or you get a second traffic jam or you know, going over the Mississippi River Bridge when you're playing in New Orleans or all these different things. So I came up with Adam Scott, 
showed up at the golf course, I'm going to say Firestone, to win this tour championship, and the breakfast buffet had been torn down. He had had a ham and cheese omelet, hash browns, and side fruit every single meal that day as he's leading this tour championship. But he got there 10 minutes too late for the breakfast buffet, and he had to settle for the mushroom tortellini and the wilted Caesar salad lunch special. And as a tour player, we know before you go out and you have to compete to win these golf tournaments, you better take care of your business before you get out there. So Adam Scott was tying his left shoelace by his locker, and he had a gurgle in his stomach, and he said, oh, shit, i got to go out of the toilet. So as he's sitting there on the toilet, he looks down between his legs, and lo and behold, there's a golf digest. On the front cover is Greg Norman, little caption, how to focus and win major golf tournaments. Page 69. Adam Scott flips to page 69, and he looks up with Greg Norman, his childhood Australian hero, says about winning majors. Don't just pick out a tree behind the green. Pick out the fourth branch off the third branch, the 17th leaf off those brown leaves, the yellow leaf flickering in the sunlight. Look at the photosynthesis in the veins of that leaf. That is your target. Pick out the smallest possible target is the gist of my story. So Adam Scott took away from sitting on that toilet. He went out to the golf course. His stomach was clear. He was focused. He was ready to win the tour championship. And that's why he won because he showed up to the golf course 10 minutes too late. And they the go, that's in, what we're looking for. Exactly. The producer in my ear in about five seconds goes, you done? I said, yep. He goes, you make that up? I said, completely. I got called in five minutes and I was hired. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not boring, right? Like, well, I could be outside the box because yeah. I knew what the other guys were going to do. I knew yes. that. Yes, you know, yeah. it's like the old school recap of, you know, when there was no uh, DVR or anything, what happened in last week's tournament with the movie voice over it. Like, that's right, boring. This, you boring. know, that's when media started changing and, you know, the back and forth made the show. I remember that show, it made it entertaining, right? Of the, yeah. It wasn't, yeah. you know, it didn't feel scripted, it didn't feel. Corporate, it was like good banter back and forth between a tour yeah, player was, and a golf writer. Yeah. It was not scripted. Yeah, we were proud to say uh, we had three years. We both we put 120 shows in the can at the Golf Channel archives. We have our little show sitting there in um, you know like Hollywood cans, ready to go and cape reels. I was going to ask you too, like what like when you're doing cause work for the BBC and you're 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 doing live golf. I I know it's not easy because there's a producer in one ear and you you. you when to say something, when not. Like, how long did that take you to get really comfortable where you had your rhythm of it and the powers that be are like, Andrew, this is good work. Like, I think it's a, it's 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 very hard to make it look effortless from what I've been told. Well, I mean, it, it, it helps us BBC Radio, okay? It's the BBC Radio 5 Live team um, who are pretty much celebrities in England. Um, and I have a face for radio, they tell me. So, um, radio is easier than, than, than television because viewers can't see what exactly happens. I can make it up like I just did. Um, I can tell you something on the radio and you don't have really any clue what happened. And, and that's kind of what I'm good at. <laughs> but um, I've had three different producers at BBC Five Live in the last, what, 20 years I've worked for them. Um, and so my current, my current girl, Amy, is so fantastic in supporting 
um, my American style. She wants me. I'm the only American in this broadcast, um, the only American in the room. Um, they like me because I was born in France and I lived in England, I think. They think I'm not just an American from Alabama. Yeah. I'm, an, I'm American from Europe. And, I, and I'm not so one-sided in my, in my commentary. Um, she's really supportive. And she gets in my ear and she goes, be more American. Talk and give me American slang. Don't talk. Cause it's easy to slip into speaking British, English, you know, right. using accents because it's all around me. Um, so I, you know, I, I like that and I can transition into that pretty fast and, and like at the Ryder Cups talk, you know, talk about what those guys are thinking from American perspective. And there's an American flag back there that that give Jordan Spieth any impetus to, to want to hit the fairway and make this putt. I mean, let's see, let's see if Jordan is up for the task, right? you know, kind of stuff yeah. fast, you know, and you got to be able to wrap it up in a quick little five, 10 second little sentence before the next person tromples on you from the hole ahead of you. So, I mean, you kind of learn it. Um, I probably learned it more from the approach with Callaway Golf and from, you know, three years of doing had a producer in my ear from the Golf Channel and, you know, knowing what gets cut and what gets kept in there and what not to do and what to say. And, you know, you can't say F words. You can't, you can't use other words. You, I mean, the, the British press are much more woke than our guys are. You got to be careful. And it's, it's not hard. It's fun. You know, you, you can't wait for your turn to be called and to give analysis to what just happened on the green and from an American perspective. And, you know, and it's it's always interesting and it's always more interesting when it's the Ryder Cup. And, you know, it's great when we win the four times we've won in this country that I've been a part of it. And then it's not the four times that we've lost. So I've seen I've seen both sides. And it's, you know, it's equally as devastating for the European team when they lost at Whistling Straits. I saw their heads hung on on the last day when Americans were spraying champagne and smoking cigars and and now I've seen the other side when the Americans were had their heads down walking out of the of the ceremony at the end with their girlfriends or their wives hands and and they were leaving and the other the, the European team was was celebrating with their soccer chants you know and you, you know and you, you got to take your hats off and say this is just golf this is not a big deal and we all had a good time here and we we had fun and everybody the, the big boys raised some money for their 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 deals and they've got TV cash and everybody's happy and that's kind of the way I look at it after a couple of days of being furious at the way our guys play. Yeah, it's not life or death. It's just it's a great golf tournament to see and yeah, it is. The, all the tours made a bunch of money and the players you know put it on their resume and you know what we're we're off season's coming we'll be ready for next year. Yeah, uh, I got a couple more just quick hitters and we will get you out of here. I always try to ask a few you know, a little bit different non-golf questions, but sort of not traditional golf questions. Like, if you were going to grab three guys you played the tour with, go play golf somewhere and do dinner and just have a fun-ass night, who are you taking and in what town are you going to? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to answer that with, like, you know, Ben Hogan and... No, 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 no. Guys you played with, like, like guys I, that, you're, that you I, like I might, hanging out with. I know where you're going. I know what you got. And, uh, and I'm going to... It's going to be easy for you to understand this. But I've got my good friends from college years. Um, you know, we all make it on tour with the same guys. We kind of grew up to junior golf and high school golf and college golf and amateur golf and... You know, my 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 buddies are, are Mark Brooks, um, who's from Fort Worth, went to the University of Texas. Big game tomorrow for my OU team versus Texas. You know, Willie Wood was a is a great friend of mine still today. He went to Oklahoma State. You know, of course, Tommy Armour. Um, I've had probably the most fun on the PGA Tour with. 
in the evening showing me a different side of Chicago and LA and New York and that I ever knew. And, you know, I want to go, I want to go dinner with those guys and my buddies and tell our stories that, that we're familiar with um, probably every day. Um, of course, there's, there's always, you know, business guys that are super interesting that played with a guy last week and, and two weeks ago in Portugal that just came back from Kiev and Ukraine, took a 12 hour train ride to go in and out. He works in cyber to listen to those guys speak of, you know, really serious stuff, not just golf is always really fun for me. But my, those three guys I think were, are, are pretty good. David Frost was another good friend of mine in South Africa that I spent a lot of, a lot of dinners with, you know, he had a wine and we all drank his red wines and, but no, it's my, it's my buddies who I'm close to from Texas and where I grew up. And uh, you can't you can't argue with that group, right? I think going out to dinner with my I've had Mark Brooks on the podcast. He's great. Like he would be fun to hang out with. You can just tell. And obviously, Tommy's a blast to go to dinner with. And you never know who's going to show up at the table, right? Like that's the best part of dinner with Tommy. It's like you never know who's going to pop up. And usually, it's non golfers, right? It's not golf related. It's somebody in art or you know. Movie. Or movies or production stuff or musicians, right? Yep. You have no idea. Uh, a titan of business. Who's going to be at that table that night? But it's always a fun group. It's a blast to go out with Tommy for dinner. I don't, that, I don't that, even know how the hell I'm in there every now and then, but I'm appreciative of so it. Good. That's so good. So we, we're, I'll just quickly finish. We just went to, yeah, we, we, we did a lot of evenings out, but we were sitting at the table with Julian Leonard. You know, John Lennon's son. So I'm going, how did I get here? <laughs> We're wearing suits and ties. The, the the bar we went to opens at midnight in New York. And I'm going like, Tommy, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, he dude knows everybody. And it's a fun group yeah. to be with. That's what I noticed, too. It's like uh, the group, he, he does a great job of getting, like, I don't know how he knows us, but the group, if there's 10 of us at dinner, um, of like the, the dynamics of the group works. Everyone's sharing food stories like it's just fun like it's a fun yeah. evening going out with ta and it's not just, you know it's also the group the ta brings to the table per se makes it a blast yeah can i just say one more thing about yeah. ta because i spent two weeks with him and he's one of my better friends and um people think he's got this reputation of, of partying and going out and meeting all these great people in hollywood and the music and tommy armor is a serious golf pro people he, he works really hard at this game. He, he thinks about the process the next day on the range at night. He thinks about what he's going to work on. He's always bending his clubs and getting his clubs ready for competition. He's excited about competition. He's, he's, he's not waking up thinking about the money. He's not thinking about how much he might make this week. He's thinking about the process of getting ready to play tournament golf, and the money will take care of himself. And he's told me this several times, which kind of freaked me out because this guy spends a lot of money. You know, he needs money. And and I'm left taking taking a lot away from Tommy Armour um, when he talks about process and and being ready and going to the range and doing your business and getting ready to go kick some ass. That's the real Tommy Armour. I mean, he does have fun, but he's he's a really fucking serious guy about golf. Hundred percent. Yeah. And so I wish people out there would listen to that. Well, and you have to think about it, right? He was exempt on the PGA Tour at fifty. He made yeah, a million dollars that? at fifty. He got better. He, right, he so you don't think you're busting, and I've talked to him about it too, like you don't think you're busting your ass if you're 47 years old or 48 or 49 or he was full, he could have played the PGA Tour Champions Tour that year. That's how good he still was at 50. Yeah. 50. Like you're it's busting just, your ass. Still. There's no other way yeah. around it. Yeah. yeah. I was it, just it, with him. He's hitting balls on the range. He's working on it. He looks great. He's hitting the ball great. 
I'm like, because he practices. He, he loves it. Last last match I played with him at Las Vegas Country Club, I got one tee up and one shot aside. So he was playing from like 67 or 6,800. He shot 30 on the front. I was done after nine holes. I mean, I played like shot even from one tee up, and I just got my ass kicked. It was like the most boring 30 you've ever seen. It's like... You know, a 12-footer goes in, then a 30-footer, then he kind of, like, you know, hits a par yeah. 5 and 2. And next thing you know, it's like, it's 6-under. He's I still that him. good. Short game, putting, yeah. all of it. He's still a phenomenal player in his 60s. He keeps, yeah, he keeps his mind. Did, did you go in the clubhouse and see any pitchers that you recognize? At, at Las Vegas Country Club? <laughs> Mine. I won a 91. Las Vegas. My guy, I have a picture. Anybody that goes there. Takes a picture of the picture and send it to me. Oh, look at where I am. I said, it's Las Vegas. Oh, I, I know. I will you. send one next time I'm out there. I know the plaque's there for TA3 of setting the course record. It's a, yeah. I like that place. Like, it's a cool vibe out in Vegas from that club. Yeah. Like, I dig the vibe out there. Yeah. I want a pile of cash in there and not in the casino. Who can say that? Yeah. Vegas took care of you well on that one. Um, other one I was going to ask you here, final one here, like, Golf course architecture, and it doesn't have to be a course the PGA Tour played because most of the greatest ones are not played on the PGA Tour or the other tours, but like two or three golf courses that you've been fortunate enough to play where you're just like, it is one of my favorites. I could play here every day. It's that good architecturally, you know, from an architectural standpoint. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big student of tradition and golf architecture, but I, but I know what I like, and I, I know I, I like a course that I can – see and i can i can play every day and when you said that question i'm thinking about shinnecock and national out there at the end of long island but i'm also thinking about a place um out there that if if i could be a member at maidstone on the end like i play every day is a gorgeous gorgeous golf course it's been redone by core crenshaw so there's that i mean i i i I love the west coast i mean if i could play you know pebble or cypress or Spyglass, maybe just Spyglass is actually public. I could, I could live there and play there every day. It's super difficult. It's got really tough uphill holes and and, and downhill holes with deer across the fairway and doing the grass. And um, um, I like to play courses. You know, I, I like to I like to play courses that my friends are at. You know, I look at the architecture of Donald Ross and Seth Rayner and all those things. I, I appreciate Wingfoot when I go to Wingfoot and. All those courses up in Westchester County, which is the best, uh, probably conglomerate of golf courses in the world, or up up the, that that side, and then the North Shore of Chicago. Um, but specifically, you know, if I had one course to play left every day, I mean, I would probably choose something like Augusta when the stands are up, so I can see my shots. Um, when the stands are down, I played there a couple of times. It's just not the same because I don't recognize things. Yeah, yeah, as well. Um, but to go stay in a cottage and and hang out at Augusta with the best wine cellar and probably golf and the in the service is is probably my end all be all last place. Well, I don't think too many people could argue with you on that <laughs> one, bro. <laughs> yeah, I like to play Augusta every day and drink really great wine and hang out there. Okay, well, you know, there's a, right, there's a probably, real you know a, a tough yeah. life some some poor bastard no. would have to live. Yeah, no. I played well, there a lot. It's uh, it's been great having you on. I've been a fan of yours, you know, for years, right? Because you guys are that generation that I looked up to uh, when I started playing. You know, you and Tommy and Omira and that whole generation. So it's so enjoyable for me to be able to have this conversation of uh, you know today and to be able to get to know you a little bit better. And you know, knew there's going to be some good stories in there as well. So I just want to say thank you, and I truly enjoyed you know the, the conversation that we had. 
so much fun, pal. I really appreciate it. And uh, anytime you want to call, let's do it again. Sounds great. Thank you.